Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Monday. Hope everyone had a wonderful weekend. So as promised, I am going to answer some of the questions that you guys have sent me. And this is going to be a fun episode because you guys sent me a lot of good questions. I can't possibly get to all of them. So I asked this on Instagram and I get a lot of you sending me the questions in a little question box and there are literally thousands of them. So I can't get to all of them or else this would be like a week long podcast, but I will try to get to as many as I possibly can and make sure that all the answers that I give are relevant to you, whether you actually ask the question or not. So this is going to be a fun and substantive podcast episode. Uh, before we actually get into the questions, I want to tell you guys about ExpressVPN. So there are a lot of VPN providers out there. There. You've probably heard of a couple of them, and maybe some of you have actually used a VPN before, but I like to do my research before I actually pick something like this, especially something as important as a VPN. I only recommend uh, brands that, you know, I believe in or that I can kind of get on board with their platform. And I actually happen to use ExpressVPN and I really like it. It's the best VPN on the market. And here is why. ExpressVPN does not log your data. Lots of really cheap or free VPNs uh, make money by selling your data to ad companies. ExpressVPN developed a technology called Trusted Server that makes it impossible for their servers to log into any of your info. That's really nice. Second is speed. I've tried lots of VPNs in the past, a few VPNs. Uh, many slow your connection down or make your device sluggish. I've been using ExpressVPN uh, for a few months now. My internet speed is you know, just as fast as it's ever been. Even when I connect to servers thousands of miles away, I can still stream HD quality videos with zero lag, which is great. Uh, the last thing that really sets ExpressVPN apart from other VPNs, in my opinion, is how easy it is to use. I really like that. Don't have a bunch of time to be messing around with VPNs that are complicated. So unlike other VPNs, you don't have to input or program anything. You just fire up the app, click one button to connect. It's so easy. Even your grandparents can do it. Not trying to bad talk grandparents here, but some grandparents parents are just, you know, a little bit technologically challenged. That's okay. I can be technologically challenged too, but this is so easy that even I, or even you, or even your grandparent can use it. It's not just me saying this. Tech Radar, The Verge, CNET, and many other tech experts ex uh, rate Express VPN, the number one VPN in the world. So protect yourself, protect your data with the VPN that I use and trust. Use my link, expressvpn.com slash Allie, that's A-L-L-I-E. Uh, get an extra three months free and on a one-year package that is expressvpn.com slash Allie. Visit expressvpn.com slash Allie to learn more. Okay, some questions. Some of them just make me laugh and some of them are um, some of them are very profound. Some of them are too complicated for the time that we have today, but a lot of you ask really good questions and this is a really good question. How do you tell someone you don't agree with their theology? And then she goes on to say that this person believes in the prosperity gospel. So we did an episode on the prosperity gospel uh, titled Plans to Prosper. So a lot of you ask me, hey, have you talked about this? So typically you can just Google like prosperity gospel, Ali Stuckey, relatable or whatever subject you want to hear me talk on and it will pop up. It should. But this particular I need to I will come up. So I'm 
and get in a new website and I'm going to be able to categorize the podcast episodes I have by particular topics. And I'll make sure that we can do that on YouTube too, uh, because a lot of you guys ask me, hey, have you talked about this? And we have. Uh, another complaint that I've gotten, I know I'm not answering this question right away. Another complaint that I've gotten is that it's sometimes hard. Like if you want to hear me talk about capital punishment, for example, and I happen to talk about that at an end of a podcast talking about feminism, for example, the title doesn't show, doesn't dim demonstrate or reflect that I talked about uh, capital punishment at the end of it. So it can be harder for you to find and it's harder for me to even remember, but I can't necessarily change that because the title isn't going to include every single thing that I talked about. The description typically will, so sometimes you can Google it, but I understand that's hard to find. I will try to start tagging those things better, categorizing the episodes better so you can easily navigate and say, hey, has Allie talked about this? And you'll be able to find an episode. So all of that to say, I did an episode on the prosperity gospel titled Plans to Prosper. If you listen to this on Apple or even on Spotify, you can type in Plans to Prosper, question mark, relatable, Ali Stuckey, and it will uh, it will pop up. So this particular person is asking me, how do you tell someone that you don't agree with their theology? This person that she is talking about believes in the prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel, meaning you can name it and claim it. You can say, you know, by faith, I believe that God is going to give me this promotion. I claim that promotion. I'm manifesting that promotion. That is not biblical at all. That is not Christianity. That is some form of weird new age manifestation, self-empowerment gospel that doesn't align with scripture. Anytime we are asked to ask God of something, which we are told to ask God and uh, God commands us to pray. And we hear that the prayer of a righteous person has great power. God listens to our prayers. And when he chooses, he responds to our prayers. He always responds as he sees fit. Um, for example, like there's a, another example of this, like delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. The precursor to that, the understanding to all of those commands, to all of those promises is that uh, we are praying according to God's will and that God being sovereign is always going to do his will no matter what. Like we can't push him off his throne. We can't manipulate him. We can't bargain with him. We can't manifest something enough or believe leave something enough to change what God has planned to do. Now we pray because God commands us to pray and graciously he has ordained prayer to be a vessel by which he moves. That is why we pray. If you've got a question about why do we pray if God is sovereign? Well, God in his sovereignty ordained prayer to be a means by which we communicate with him and ask for things and a means by which he actually uh, accomplishes things. And that is awesome. That's awesome for us. That's awesome for our relationship with God. But that does not mean, as the prosperity gospel says, that we can just say, hey, I believe I'm getting this promotion. I believe this is going to happen. And that somehow moves the needle and makes God more likely to change his mind. That, again, that's a me-centered theology in which you are earning things. You are, you really have the power and you are the one who is in control rather than the God of the universe. And that is just not biblically correct, but people like to believe 
in prosperity gospel because we like control. We like to be our own gods. We like to believe that God is just like this genie in a bottle. And then if we rub it the right way, that he will come out and grant us our three wishes. We like to think that he's just along for the ride. Like we like to think that he's just the fulfiller of our dreams to help us reach our goals, that he is just here to tell us that we're awesome and to cheerlead and to make sure that we get the things that we want. But that is not who God is. Uh, We don't see that kind of God throughout the Bible. We do see a God that blesses people, even blesses people monetarily, blesses people materially, blesses people with health and wealth and uh, health and wealth and long life. But he doesn't guarantee those things. And actually, he guarantees for Christians persecution. He guarantees for Christians hardship, uh, tribulation, even sorrow and sadness, even though there is a surpassing joy through all of those things. And there is a, a spirit uh, a spirit-fueled perseverance through all of those things. We are actually promised trials and tribulations. We are not promised an easy life. We are promised God's presence. We are promised that Jesus will be with us. We are promised uh, the presence and the guarantee of our inheritance. The Holy Spirit is what the Bible says, uh, but we are not guaranteed an easy life. That's not we follow why we follow Jesus. We don't follow Jesus for his stuff. We follow Jesus because he is Lord. Like We follow Jesus because the love of Christ compels us to follow Jesus. Uh, we love because he first loved us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We follow him because uh, his love, his sacrifice compels us to do so because he is worthy of our following, uh, no matter what we get or what we don't get. What is so important to remember when people tell you um, the the benefits of the prosperity gospel, that even if we had nothing in this life, even if we had no monetary blessing, no material blessing, uh, we were all alone. We didn't have a house. We didn't have any kind of uh, material blessing to speak of. What God did through Christ on the cross is enough. It's enough for us to declare him good. It's enough for us to praise him. It's enough for us to follow him. Like in that act, by sending his only son to die for us, that we might be reconciled to him and have eternal life with him, that alone is far more than we ever deserved. Far more than we ever deserved. And that alone is reason to praise him. We praise him for other gifts too. We thank him for other gifts. I don't think it's bad to even pray uh, for certain things in a, in accordance to his will. Now, I do think that if your prayers are filled with uh, personal promotion and uh, personal accumulation of wealth, that there is probably a posturing there in your heart that needs to be checked and that you need to you know, be in the word and pray for wisdom and pray for the the power and the ability and God's mercy to be able to repent from that and to make sure that all of us, whether you say that you ascribe to the prosperity gospel or not, to make sure that all of us are following God for who he is because he is worth that following and not for the things that we think that we deserve, uh, the gifts that we think that we deserve and the stuff that he can give us. God is not a genie. The Bible says that God will not be mocked. He desires a right worship. He desires a contrite heart. Uh, He desires our humility. He desires our following. And he does not, uh, he does not promise health and wealth, name it and claim it type things that the prosperity gospel says, uh, says that he promises. So for this person who asked me, how do you tell someone who, uh, that you don't agree with their theology, specifically the prosperity gospel? I think that you just say a lot of what I just said, that you 
stand on the truth of God's word without apologizing and that you always you are going to be uh, in a safe place like you are going to be in good territory when your theology is centered on the glory of God and not on your deservedness. When your theology is centered on how God can most be glorified rather than how you can most be glorified, like you are going to be heading in the right direction no matter what theological issue that we're talking about. And so as you think through this, uh, how your theology most glorifies God, I think that you'll be able to learn how to have a conversation with your friend. I don't know who your friend is and I don't know how she communicates and like what the best context is for you to have this conversation, but stand on the truth, stand on God's glory. Don't apologize for those things. Don't apologize for the truth. The Bible says what it says. Don't apologize for the Bible. Don't apologize for the gospel. Don't apologize for the things that Jesus says. Yes, we should speak the truth in love. That means we speak the truth in gentleness. Uh, that means that there are uh, certain ways and maybe a certain context in which we say certain things that are true about the Bible. But if you want to have a heart to heart with your friend and just lay it all out there so that you can say, you know, uh, I I did everything I can and only the Holy Spirit can change hearts. Only God can plant the seed and give growth to the faith in her heart. That's all you can do. All you can do is be a faithful steward of the truth, not be apologetic for it, not make caveats, not make concessions. And I, I think that's that's what you do. You love her. That is why you are telling her the truth. That is the only reason you're telling her the truth. Because if you didn't love her, then you wouldn't. Um, so great question. And I love the desire for, I pray that all of us have that same desire to speak the truth in love to the people around us. Another question I got, is it okay to prep slash store food for times like this, coronavirus? Of course, I think so. If you read uh, Proverbs 31, the Proverbs 31 woman and uh, who she was and what she did on a day-to-day -day basis, one of the verses says that she laughs at the time to come. Why does she laugh at the time to come? Because she is prepared. That doesn't mean that trouble won't come. It doesn't mean that we won't get sick. That doesn't mean bad things won't happen. But I think that we should use whatever resources we can to protect ourselves, to protect our families, and to protect our homes understanding that God is still on his throne, that God is still sovereign, that his will is going to be done, whether we are completely protected from the sickness or not. And so we understand that we're not ultimately in control. And the best thing that we can do is pray. We still should go about our day-to-day -day lives in being obedient to him and thanking him for all the good things that he has done and thanking him for whatever provision he has allowed your family to have. But I absolutely we went to the grocery store and made sure that we had frozen food and canned food and, and extra water and things like that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. I have to remember as a natural worrier, as someone who likes to be in control, that I don't have ultimate control and that there is only so much that I can do. Like I want to guarantee that I can protect my family. And I just, I don't have that guarantee and I have to be okay with that, that I serve a sovereign God who is good, who is on her throne. What? I almost said her, who is on his throne and uh, knows and knows what's best and is, um, foresaw this and is not surprised by this, is not thrown off by this. By the way, we also did an episode on the idea that God is a woman and how ridiculous and stupid that is and why God is uh, why he is depicted as father, as king, and Jesus is prince of peace and lord of lords and all of those masculine sounding names. So you can go back and listen to that. Uh, I forget what it's called. God is a woman question mark maybe, but you can go back and listen to that. So anyway, 
Uh, no, I don't think that it's wrong to prep or uh, store food for this time. I just, I don't think that's bad at all. Uh, so someone said the let dairy die movement and why are they cray cray? Well, let dairy die movement. It's just a vegan movement. I've talked about veganism before. Think you can totally be a vegan and be a Christian. I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with being a vegan. The difference between just being a vegan and being these let dairy die people. So the let dairy die people, they, uh, try to, um, they tried to interrupt a Bernie Sanders rally a few weeks ago after Joe Biden had a good night on Super Tuesday last week, they uh, they tried to go across stage with their signs. I mean, they just look crazy. This is a huge disservice. If you are trying to build some kind of movement that says, you know, we need to stop eating, we need to stop eating dairy or stop eating meat or whatever because we care about the animals because some people believe that the dairy industry is corrupt, and I'm sure there are some dairy manufacturers that do really bad things, but that's not true of all dairy farms. But I guess if you believe that killing animals for food, period, is a bad thing, you probably think all dairy farms are bad. But uh, this just does a huge disservice to that. Like, I think that people can be vegan, and that's totally fine. Whether it's for health reasons, whether it's for compassion for animals, you just, whatever it is, for the environment, that's fine. It's when it becomes militant, not just like this, but people who say that you can't be pro-life and not be vegan, that you can't be a good person, that it's hypocritical of you to say that you're a Christian or pro-life or whatever and not be a vegan. That's crazy. Like we've talked about this before. If you're a Christian from a biblical perspective, human beings are unique. We are uniquely made in the image of God. We uniquely have souls. We uniquely live forever. We uniquely are in need of a savior, in need of salvation. We are uniquely involved in God's amazing redemption plan in a way that animals, that plants are not. And so human beings, because of that, because we're made in the image of God, we have uh, precedence. We have a far more, an inexplicably uh, more, an inexplicably higher significance uh, than any other species does. That's just the way it is from a Christian perspective, from a biblical perspective. Our significance as human beings is not based on capacity. It's not based on ability. It's not based on age. It's not based on size. It's not based on contribution to society. It is innate by nature of having human DNA. That is part of why we are pro-life from the womb to the tomb. Now, I could get into a whole other conversation about capital punishment, which I have always, uh, I've also talked about on this podcast before, why there is a biblical case for believing in capital punishment, and that does not make you a hypocrite for believing that murderous criminals should be executed, but babies in the womb should not be executed. But I won't get into that right this second. Maybe I'll get into that later in the podcast. But... Uh, of course, so the, all of that said, no, it's not hypocritical to not be vegan, to believe that it's okay to kill any animals and to be pro-life, to be anti-abortion because human beings are not animals. Human beings are different than animals. They're inherently more significant than animals. Do I think that we should steward the world uh, steward uh, the world well? Yes, we were created as uh, stewards of creation. We should uh, value God's creation. We can be compassionate. We can try to uh, kill animals for meat as as compassionately as possible, but it is not a requirement uh, for you to be a moral person, for you to be a biblical Christian, for you to be pro-life, to be a vegan. I've talked about that a few times, but I just want to reiterate how to explain to someone that biblically grandparents can't watch over us from heaven. So 
I don't know that necessarily biblically that that people in heaven can't see us or can't watch over us technically. I, I, I'm not sure if there is a biblical support for saying that people who are in heaven don't or can't do that. I definitely want to hear it. But there is a lot of bad theology that comes out when tragedies happen. And it's just so sad. I never take that opportunity right then to correct people's theology when they are talking about their child that they lost becoming an angel or visiting them or things like that. Like, I'm not going to take that time to say, hey, that's not true. Maybe if they're my friend, later I will, and I'll try to comfort them with all the truth of the gospel that I possibly can, and I will pray for them, but I'm not going to take that opportunity to reprimand them or chastise them. The same thing if someone lost a grandparent. They're I just don't think that's the time. I think it's hard to speak the truth in love by saying, hey, you're wrong theologically. Here's a Bible verse. No, your child that just died is not an angel. I just don't think that's the time for that. Now, it is true that we do not become angels when we die, that we don't become a guardian angel, that we don't intercede. Like the dead doesn't intercede for people who are alive. They're, um, we don't like dead people don't have like acts of power uh, on our behalf or they don't do anything for us. I don't think that they I don't think it's possible for them to like leave little signs or things like that. This is why theology is so important. It's not just this heady stuff. It's also very uh, practical uh, that really the reality is so much better that we don't need the dead interceding for us. We don't need the dead to be here with us because Jesus Christ has interceded for us and the Holy Spirit is here with us and is alive within us, all of us who are Christians. And that's so much better than a fallible human being um, you know, being in our stead or doing things for us or leaving us signs. Unfortunately, that is just superstition that ends up disappointing people. It ends up disappointing people and burdening people beyond how they should be burdened because they're always looking out for signs. They're always afraid that they're disappointing uh, that grandparent or whoever has died or that they haven't noticed them enough. And it just leads to all of these superstitious thoughts and superstitious behaviors that I think ends up in fear and insecurity rather than in comfort and in strength. But the reality is, is that we have an ever living God who as Christians is here with us, who uh, heals our broken heart, who binds our wounds. The people who who have died, who have uh, gone to heaven, they can't do that for us. But our living God can do that. Uh, we have a Savior, the Bible says, that sympathizes with our weaknesses, who in every way has been tempted as we have and yet is without sin. That is the Jesus that we have. That's the Jesus who intercedes for us. We have a Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus says that he is our helper, that he is with us, that he comforts us, that he uh, reveals to us truth that is found in God's word, that he gives us wisdom. So uh, we have something so much better than the idea of our grandparents that we love becoming our guardian angels. I don't know whether they can see us. I'm just not sure about that. But this idea of the dead becoming these agents in our life is superstitious and not based on the Bible. And like I said, ends up leading more to hurt than to comfort. And we have a God of comfort already. Like we have a God of peace already who is infinite and who is so much better than any of our kind of uh, superstitious ideas that we can contrive can. Um, 
Someone else asks, are you Baptist or Presbyterian? I am Baptist. I was raised Baptist. I did go to a Presbyterian church for a little bit in college, and I really liked it. Pastor was great, and there's a little bit more formality, a little bit more ritual and routine at Presbyterian churches. They obviously are paedo-baptists. And for the most part, they believe in infant baptism. I don't believe in infant baptism. I believe in believer's baptism. Uh, there is the idea in paedo-baptism that it is like the new covenant in the way that the Old Testament, uh, the Old Covenant was circumcision that set Israel apart. It was uh, a lot of paedo-baptists believe that this, that means infant baptism advocates. They believe that the new covenant uh, is represented by infant baptism. I just don't see that represented in the New Testament. Uh, belief always precedes baptism in the New Testament. Uh, now, there are there are instances, for example, of the centurion who believed and he was baptized in his entire household. But again, that doesn't say that his entire household didn't believe. I think that's a secondary issue. There are a lot of people that I love, that I respect, that I follow, that are theologically solid, that I learn so much from, that know so much more than I do, that are paedo-baptists, that uh, are great. Like, we can get along on that. That's not a salvation issue. That's just a theological disagreement. And I'm happy. I've actually talked to some of you about that uh, disagreement before, and I'm happy to talk about it some uh, some more. Uh, is it okay for a woman to be a pastor? No, I've talked about this as well. Women in the church is what it's titled. It's on YouTube. It's anywhere you get your podcast. And so I will let you just listen to that and, uh, you can let me know what you think. So oh, two questions right in a row on Harry Potter. So I did not grow up reading Harry Potter. I wasn't allowed to read Harry Potter. I had friends who read Harry Potter, but, uh, my parents didn't let me my husband did and loved Harry Potter, but now recently he's kind of like not as, um, he used to defend it a lot. Like whenever I would say Chronicles of Narnia are so much better than Harry Potter, which they just are, even though I've never actually read Harry Potter. I've seen some of the movies and Narnia, Lord of the Rings, all way better. Um, now I just, so I don't know enough about Harry Potter to be able to like give you a good theological answer. I know there's magic involved, but I wouldn't say that would be the sole reason, maybe because it's witchcraft that people see, but there's witchcraft technically like in the Chronicles of Narnia as well. And I would highly recommend you reading the Chronicles of Narnia to your kids. I mean, I am the biggest C.S. Lewis stan, I think on the face of the planet, even though I disagree with him on some things theologically. Uh, I love Chronicles of Narnia. Like, I think it's important. I think fiction is wildly important for not just uh, children. I actually think it's important through no matter how old you are, but fiction is so good for the imagination. It's so good for creativity. It's so good for uh, becoming uh, better thinkers, more critical thinkers, for becoming better writers, becoming better readers, having just a better um, uh, a, a better understanding of our worldview. I think fiction is so vital. And if you cut out everything that is imaginative or everything that is make-believe, well, then you don't have anything fun to read to your kids. Now, I'm not promoting Harry Potter at all. Like I said, I wasn't allowed to read that growing up, and I don't think we're going to allow our kids to either. However, um, I, I don't think that we can draw the line and say everything that is make-believe or involves a witch of any kind, like Chronicles of Narnia or Lord of the Rings. I know they don't have a witch, but um, should be cut out 
I, I don't think, I don't think I'm on board with that. Um, difference in Protestants and evangelicals. So evangelicals are Protestants. Um, why are there so many different religions? There always has been a lot of different religions. Uh, keep all things trendy narcissism coming. Will do. Will do. Uh, let's see. Most embarrassing moment of your life. Ooh, most embarrassing moment of my life. Well, so there was a time, this is gross. So if you don't like gross stories, then you might just want to fast forward. It has to do with um, vomiting. So if you don't want to hear that, then you should probably just fast forward. So when I was like 15, I was on a date with someone in high school, way too young to be dating, by the way. Of course, I didn't think that then. And I would have pitched a huge fit if my parents hadn't let me go out on dates when I was a teenager. So I'm already trying to figure out how we're going to prevent our kids from doing that when they're high schoolers. My parents are laughing listening to this. But I went on a date when I was 15. It was like a Valentine's Day. Day. It was probably like one of my first dates ever. And I, we went to a restaurant and then we went back to his house, you know, his parents' house. We're in high school here. And I just did not feel good at all. And I knew I didn't feel good, but I was on a date. So like I was 15 years old, nervous, all that stuff. I was like, going to leave. I didn't want to ask him to go home before my curfew, which was like 1030 or something like that. And so I was just like, oh, I do not feel good. I feel like I'm going to throw up. This is what I'm thinking in my head, but I'm not going to tell him. So I did not tell him. I was like, I'm going to make it home. So we go to leave, we go to his car and I get to his car. I just couldn't hold it anymore. So I turned around, I threw up all over his parents' front porch and in their entryway and in their bathroom. I can't believe I'm like cringing. I might even be getting red thinking about this. Oh my gosh. So embarrassing. I got over it. We actually ended up dating for a few months, which is amazing. Maybe it says something about him. You go, dude. Um, that's really nice of you. Oh my gosh. So disgusting. So embarrassing. I'm sure I've had super embarrassing moments since then too. I can't remember, but that just sticks out in my mind. It's one of the most embarrassing things that has ever happened to me. Um, is college for everyone? Thoughts on taking a gap year? No, college is not for everyone. Charlie Kirk is a great example of someone who didn't go to college and has become wildly successful. You don't have to go to college for everything. And I think that's increasingly true that you don't have to college isn't necessary for everything that you uh, want to do. What is your favorite book of the Bible? Love Genesis and love Ephesians. Um, let's see. How to be content in singleness. That is a difficult thing to do, especially depending, you know, like on who you are. If you are someone who really desires to be married, some people just don't, but I would say surround yourself with good friends, surround yourself, try to surround yourself with people who are in your same life stage. I know it can be hard when you feel like all your friends are getting picked off, like all of your friends are getting engaged and getting married and having babies and you want all that, but you're not there yet. It's totally normal to feel like you're missing out. But the reality is, is that the Bible says that singleness is a gift and can be a gift because you have, you don't have the distractions that married people do and uh, that people with kids do. And I know you might be thinking, but I want those distractions. But the Bible says that it can be a gift to be single. You can draw close to Christ. And if you do get married and have kids, you will be married and have kids far longer than you were single. So you can take advantage of this time to build friendships, to do acts of service, to spend time in the word uh, and do things that you just wouldn't have the ability and the freedom to do if you were married or if you had kids. 
and ask God for contentment and for peace in this time. There are going to be days when you do feel peace. You feel totally content. You're like, I'm great. And this is wonderful. And there are going to be days when you feel anxious and you feel really sad about it. And that's normal. But Christ is with you and he is steadfast even when we are not. So just a couple, couple more questions. A lot of you guys, a lot of you guys asked me about birth control and I have talked about birth control before. Um, and I, I don't remember which podcast episode. I think it was probably another Q and a, but, uh, so I think the heart behind it is what I am most concerned with. Now there are birth control pills and I just don't know enough about every single birth control pill brand. There are birth control pills that make the uterus basically inhospitable for a baby to be able to grow. So for an egg to attach to the uterine wall. So it depends on if you think conception starts at fertilization when the sperm meets the egg or implantation when the fertilized egg actually implants itself into the uterine wall. So there are birth control pills that even if you have a fertilized egg makes the uterus inhospitable so it can't implant itself into the uterine wall but the egg is fertilized. Same thing with an IUD. That's what happens with it, with an IUD as well. It doesn't always prevent uh, ovulation. It doesn't always prevent, I don't think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, someone on this, it doesn't always prevent the egg from being fertilized, but it does prevent it from actually implanting itself into the wall. Now, there are some people that it, that doesn't work. You do get pregnant on birth control. You do get pregnant with an IUD. And if you get pregnant with an IUD, that can be big trouble, which is another reason why a lot of people don't like it. But so it depends on your stance on when conception or when life actually starts. Does it start at fertilization? Does it start at implantation? And that also affects your view of something like plan B as well. Um, I think that the mentality behind things matter. So I've heard uh, John Piper talk about this before, that there might be a period of time in a marriage in which it may be appropriate not to have children. And his reasoning, which I generally agree with, his reasoning for that is if you are doing that for the sake of ministry. So for the focus of ministry, if there um, is a period of time in which you need to focus all of your energies and efforts onto a particular mission. Now, people have babies all the time in the midst of mission, and it's great, and it's beautiful, and it's a blessing. But that is his one time that he says, you know, that's when you, um, you know, when there might be a biblical basis for not having kids for the reasons of travel, for the reasons of just personal enjoyment, for the reasons of personal freedom and convenience. Those are not biblical reasons not to have kids. Now for my husband and me, we didn't have kids for the first three years and we were actively trying not to. And I don't know if that was biblical or not. Yes, we were in a lot of transition, like we were moving places, we were moving jobs, we were financially not fully stable, and so we just weren't in a place of really thinking about that, and then when we became stable in our jobs and financially and all of that, we did, and we got pregnant, and it was great. Uh, I can't tell you, I can't defend necessarily that that was the right thing to do, that that was the biblical thing to do, and now looking back, I wonder if I had a faulty, if we had a faulty mentality of this kind of worldly thought about kids, that kids are a burden, that kids are a hindrance, that kids inhibit you from doing the things that you want to do. I do not think that's a godly or a biblical mentality of 
kids. I think that there can, there is flexibility and there is space for wisdom to be exercised uh, when it comes to certain situations in which bringing a child into it wouldn't be the most you know, judicious thing to do. Sure, I'm definitely willing to have, have that conversation and hear about some of the circumstances. But in general, if we are viewing kids as a burden and as a hindrance, it is something that we just think are icky or that, oh, we're not gonna be able to go to Europe if we have a kid. I, like, I don't see the basis for that and the support for that in the Bible. And yes, there are other problems uh, with birth control uh, hormonally, just what it does to your body. I was on birth control for acne uh, at one point, and then it was like for regulation. I don't even remember. I wasn't using it to actually control conception when I was in high school and college, trust me. But I was using it because a lot of people were. Like a lot of young women were just on it to regulate themselves for acne, whatever it was. And it wasn't good. Like, I never felt good. My skin was not good when I was in college. They were constantly changing. My hormones were up and down. It was moody. It was just, it wasn't good. It's not, I don't think it's good for most women. Now, maybe some women with PCOS, maybe it's helped you, but it just doesn't seem to be, uh, it doesn't seem to be usually very healthy in how God uh, intended things. I can't go into every single form of birth control and say, this is good. This is not in this circumstance. This might be okay. In this circumstance, this might be okay. I think that in general, the heart behind birth control and why you as a married person are not having kids uh, is the most important thing. Oh goodness. There are so many, so many good questions to have. I saw a really funny one and I can't find it anymore. Someone asked me whether I would rather have Miley Cyrus or I think it was Ilhan Omar as my personal assistant. Oh man, that's oh, that's really really hard. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think that I can. I don't even know if it was Miley Cyrus or someone. I don't even know if I can answer that. I can't trust either of them for very different reasons. I, I love Would You Rathers. If you follow me on Instagram, sometimes I do like Q&A on Instagram and I give y'all a good Would You Rather. I'll have to do that one episode. I'll have to like come up with a really good Would You Rather and you guys can discuss. I'm really good at coming up with absurd, ridiculous Would You Rathers. I don't know. God just gave me. God just gave me a um a gift in that when he was making me he was like this is just one thing I'm going to be able to put in your brain also really good at mad libs I'm really good at like stupid things <laughs> that don't contribute anything good to society hopefully I'm good at some other things too but I'm also good at like really ridiculous things like mad libs and would you rather so if we ever all relatable listeners if we all get together and have a Mad Libs party. That would be the time of my life. Okay, that's all I have time for today. Thank you guys so much for listening. I will be back here on Wednesday.